Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. You know, the set list and everything that we do today is all uh, just amazing in, in the way that it comes together around uh, just the heart of today's service and so grateful uh, for all of our, our guests that are here this morning, for those that have come and joined with families to take part in this special dedication service. And we are in the midst of a sermon series called Against All Odds. And, and in the, the, the picture of that, we've been walking uh, through the scriptures, really looking at the, the grand narrative of scripture and looking at uh, just God's hand in the midst of many of these Old Testament uh, narrative uh, places that we find ourselves in. And this week, uh, we're going to be looking at maybe a, a story that outside of my story and maybe outside of yours is a story maybe of the greatest against all odds moment in the scripture. You know, we think about against all odds and it gives us this picture of what's the likelihood of something happening in the future. You know, I was looking at all these precious little babies, and I can remember uh, my little hope. And uh, yesterday, I had the, the blessing of being able to, to hang out at our high school prom. It was parent-led, and so uh, they've gifted me with the ability or blessing to be able to, to, to speak into that moment in our, our students' lives for just a, a short time and to pray over that. And then just a, a blessing there. And I was thinking, here's my daughter and many of you other uh, people that, that should be like this small at the prom. And I'm like, wow, how did this happen? Because really, I, I'll be honest with you, when it comes to her, I really thought it would be against all odds that she would actually ever sleep through the night. Um, and now, like, teenagers have this gift. They can even sleep through the day, like, if they need to. Like, like they don't do that all the time, right? But it's a gift they have. And so here's a little picture of hope as a baby. This probably won't look like some of yours you had on the, the thing, but this is what... <laughs> This is what she did like for the first year. And, and she had this, this thing where she wouldn't go to sleep until about midnight. And then you could forget it. Like we might get two hours of sleep and she would be back up. And like, I'm thinking, I don't know if we'll survive this, right? Like I'm, I'm wondering about it in those moments. And we, uh, we would do things that were kind of crazy that you, we used to have one of those big 3000 pound box TVs, you know, that, that you used to have. And you could, the doctor said, you know, sometimes if you shock them with white noise, that it'll calm them down. So like, I'm not, I don't know if this is good or bad, but it worked, right? And so we would turn on this TV and have the volume really high and she would be just screaming like at 11 o'clock and we would be just like barely awake. And we would turn on this TV and it'd go, and she would just kind of be mesmerized by it. And then when she finally fell asleep, like we would sneak very gently, right? And we would like pray to Jesus, like, Lord, please let her sleep. Don't let her wake up. And we'd lay her down in that moment. And then we'd go back in the living room. One night I had gotten so bad that we got back in the living room and we sat down uh, on our chair. And like 30 minutes later, I looked over at Sherry and she looked back at me and the TV was still going. Like, I'm like, we're watching white noise. Like it, we were mesmerized by it. You know, so it's against all odds in those moments that we have that. I was so bad that one day I was so weird that I just went online and I started Googling like how to get a child to sleep through the night. And I found this ridiculously, ridiculously priced PDF file that said, we can have your child sleeping through the night in seven days. And I'm like, I'd mortgage my house for that right now. Like seriously. And so I, it said like, there's a money back guarantee. I'm thinking this is awesome. So we bought this thing. It actually worked. And like, we were like against all odds, this thing 
was there. And so we looked a few weeks back is what are the odds of raising a generation to follow Jesus? And we really began to lean into what it looks like uh, to disciple our, our children and to be uh, a faith family that is committed to this uh, incredible responsibility that we have. And today we're going to be looking at a story of a man named Mephibosheth. And we didn't see his name on any of the, the parent-child dedications today, probably. Uh, not, this, this is not going to be a chapter like for future children's names, uh, but we're going to be in 2 Samuel 9. And as you turn there, uh, you'll, you'll see this incredible passage. And we pick up in this story, right? Israel had wanted a king. And in the, the midst of that, right, the reason that they wanted a king, well, they wanted somebody to fight for him and defend him, but they wanted to be like everybody else, right? And so we see them uh, select Saul, and he's this man that's head and shoulders above the others. And it seemed like, from man's perspective, that this would be the right kind of person. This would be the king that could fight our battles. This could be that kind of moment, right? And uh, we learned last week, and remember that, that Saul had been disobedient to God and, and had been rejected by God. And we see this uh, shepherd king, right? This new king that was chosen, uh, a shepherd boy named David. And we saw last week this incredible victory that God had at, at the Valley of Eli, right? We see uh, the David and Goliath story. And we left that saying that we, where do we find ourselves in the midst of the story? In apart from Christ, right? We should be like the Israelites, scared to death, right? And, and shivering in the midst of that. But in Christ, right, we become stones in the hands of our Savior. And we are cast into this world for the glory of his name. And so this is where we find David. And he is a, a warrior king, but we're going to see him extend something. And we're going to see something in this passage that is incredible. And it's missing in so many ways from the average Christian life. It's missing in so many ways uh, from our world. And we're going to see him extend the kindness of God and we're going to see the impact of that. And we're going to see how we look and, and what we see in the midst of this story. So uh, today's uh, title of the message is At the King's Table. And the story begins with verse 1 saying this. Then David said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And as we read into this story, I want you to see the first thing is that grace seeks him out. Grace seeks him out. Now he says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for the sake of Jonathan? Now, David, we don't have time to dig into this story, but, but David had made a promise to Jonathan, an oath to protect and show kindness uh, to his offspring. And, and in this passage, right, we see the Hebrew word hasad, and, and this word is a picture of this covenant faithfulness, right? It's this loving faithfulness. And David is going to give us an incredible example of covenant faithfulness in this passage. And so here he is. In this place now, he has been established as king. He is established on the throne. He has put down the opposition, and he, he begins to search for someone to show kindness to. Look at verse 2. He says this, Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness? The kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. Now we think about this and it's important for us to understand more of the story. And so we're going to turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 4. And if you'll turn back just a few pages there in verse 4, we, we see 
uh, a bit of what's going on in this story. Now, the scripture says, now, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. Now, we read that, and we're thinking, okay, what happened? How did this take place? And the scripture says he was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now, the Israelite army, understand, had been in a battle. They uh, had been fighting. They were fighting uh, this battle on Mount Gilboa. And in this battle, what we see is that both Saul uh, and Jonathan, right, are killed in the battle. And so here, uh, Mephibosheth, right, his father and his grandfather, right, they're fighting in this battle. Now you can imagine he's five years old. And I want you to think about what five-year-old kids might do. Uh, They're playing and they're doing normal five-year-old things. I can imagine in this moment that he's just being a normal five-year-old. And then all of a sudden, everything changes, right? All of a sudden, his world completely changes, right? He's a grandson of the king. So he's probably got the best toys. He's probably got everything that you could imagine. But panic comes, right? Saul and Jonathan, they've been killed. Uh, and, And when the news of defeat came, everything changed, right? When the king changes in this time, what you would see is that those that were left in the household, they were considered threats to the king and they would be eliminated. And so here in this moment, there's a panic and there's a scrambling. And when the scripture says nurse, it gives a person that's caring for him, the one that was looking after this young child, right, scoops him up and they begin to run, right? Panic just ensues the place and they are running uh, and and they can't run, but so far. And then there's a, a fall, right? And we read that he was dropped and his name was Mephibosheth. Now it's interesting when he's mentioned outside of 2 Samuel, when he's mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapter 8 and verse 9, his name is Mary Baal, which is a, a name that means the one who contends with Baal. And so then all of a sudden his name is changed here and it means from the mouth of shame or one who scatters shame. Now Ziba says there is this one son back in 2 Samuel chapter 9. He says there is this one son and he's crippled. Verse 4, he says, So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Now he's gone from a child of the king, right, to having all these things to a place called Lodabar, a place that means pastureless. And David looks and he says, Go and get him. Go and get him. Verse 5, then King David sent and brought him from, from this house, right? And so we, we read uh, this passage. And I want to remind you that grace sought him out. And then we're going to see something here. Grace brings him in. He gets there and, and we see this uh, interaction that takes place. And the scripture says in verse 6 that Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, here is your servant. David says to him, and and obviously he has probably heard all these things about what would happen as David took over kingship, what could happen to him, the destruction that might be coming uh, to him. And I can imagine in these moments he's being called in to the presence of the king. And David immediately says, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. 
Verse 8, and he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? He says, what is it that I should eat at the king's table? What is it that you should regard a dead dog like me? And it gives this picture of, of, of powerlessness, this picture of insignificance. And he says, why is it that I would be able to be at the king's table? Verse 9, the king calls Saul's servant Ziba and says to him, all that belong to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. David gives him servants and material wealth. We're going to see the number of that. He, he, he sees us, gives us this picture, right? Grace seeks him out. Grace brings him in. And then grace gives him more than he ever deserved, right? Look at all that he's given him. In, in verse 10, he says, you and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him. And you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba says to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant to do, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at the table as one of the king's sons. What a joy, man. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. And then finally in verse 13, so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now, he was lame in both feet. Mephibosheth would eat at the king's table, and he would eat at the king's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had experienced grace. He had experienced kindness. He had experienced something beautiful, right? Grace sought him out. Grace brought him in, and grace gave him more than he deserved. Can you see the beauty of this story, right? It doesn't take long to see the beauty of this story, right? There's a greater story in this of the grace of God. And, and like Mephibosheth, broken and separated from God, we're sinners by nature and by choice, and there's nothing, right? Well, what would it be that someone would look on a dead dog like me and allow me to sit at the king's table? There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we bring to the table that would make us worthy of being in the presence of the king. But in his grace and in his mercy and in his grace, goodness, the king comes looking for us, right? This is good news, right? Because grace seeks us out. And maybe you look into this story, maybe you feel in some ways that you've been dropped, and maybe you feel like, you know, some of the things that have happened in your life, maybe you, you see so many things that have impacted you as a result of the brokenness of this world, as a result of sin. And I'm reminded, and we've said it over and over in this series, Against All Odds, that Jesus specializes in taking broken pieces and making masterpieces and he works in an incredible way and just as David came looking from a ship at Fevesheth, God comes looking for us grace seeks us out and then grace brings us in right Mephibosheth is an incredible picture of grace and he offered nothing in return he offered nothing that made him worthy of that and the truth is that when it comes to our lives that we offer nothing to God to deserve our salvation we offer nothing to him that makes us worthy of any of that but we say thanks be to God for the mercy and grace that has been extended to us in Titus chapter 3 
Beginning in verse 4 and 5, the scripture says this, When the kindness of, our God, of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, right? Not because of anything we have done, but according to his mercy, right? Mercy is not getting what we deserve, right? We deserve death. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. But, but we see that God gives us the gift of eternal life, that it's not based on deeds done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Listen, when, when it says that David and Mephibosheth, right, when he, that Mephibosheth was able to eat meals, it, it was more, right, when, it, when he was able to sit at the table, it was more than him just eating meals there. It was that he was considered a member of David's family. It was that, that he was in the royal family, that he had been welcomed to the very table of the king. And when he sat at that table, and on Wednesday morning, as I was just praying over this passage, and I was thinking, does this really fit this parent-child dedication, and where does the Lord want me? I want you to know there was something in this that resonated with me in a way that just wrecked me in those moments. And I began to think about the brokenness in my life, and I want you to remember just a minute what it felt like to be lost, and what it felt like to be in the midst of your sin. And I want you to just think for a minute that in this moment, right, the scripture is very clear to communicate to us that Mephibosheth was crippled. Then I want you to know something when he came and when he sat at the king's table, there was something beautiful that took place. His brokenness was covered. His mess was covered. When people walked in and they began to serve him and he was sitting at the king's table, I want you to know I don't believe that they could look down and see all the mess of his brokenness, but they saw him as a son of the king, that his brokenness had been covered covered. And well, God has given us more than we deserve, right? He was at the king's table. And in this passage, David accepts uh, Mephibosheth because of Jonathan, right? And we are able to be at the king's table. We are able to be in the presence of God because of Jesus, not because of anything that we have done. Grace brings us in and then grace gives us more than we deserve. Have you experienced grace that is greater than you deserve this morning? Well, I look back at my life and I say, God, and your grace is overwhelming. I look at all that he's brought me from right in so many times. It's so easy for us to forget. We do well to remember what it was like to be lost, what it was like when God reached into the mire and the filth of who we are and in his grace that he saved us. And in the kindness of God, it led us to repentance, right? And as a result of that, our lives are changed forever. As a result of that, everything changes. And in an overflow, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's a characteristic that should be part of our lives, right? When, when Paul was defending his apostleship to the church at Corinth, right? He talked about all the beatings and all the things that had taken place in his life, all these things that had happened against him. And then he began to list and he said, and I'm kind, right? And the characteristic, right? This part of the character of God for his followers, right? We should be the kindest people that we would ever run into, right? There's a characteristic of your life that there should be kindness that comes out of us, not because of anything in our own strength, but because we have been extended grace. We become people then that extend grace and that extend kindness. We should be people that that the world looks at and says, you know what? I can see that they follow Jesus because look at the kindness that they exhibit. Look who 
at the way that they interact. But what we might hear is that today, if you go into restaurants, that when you uh, engage with waitresses and waiters, that they say the rudest times of all the week is after church on Sunday when people walk in to that restaurant, that they're the rudest and the most hateful and all those kind of things. But here's the thing, as an overflow of the grace that we have been given, grace is to be extended. And, and it's not only extended. Listen, we've got to understand that there's, there's these people. And you might think of some of these people, people you like and people that are connected in your life. And you say, you know what? I extend grace to these people, right? And you probably all of us can find these people in our life that we extend grace to. But I want you to know that Jesus would say that if you're good to those who are good to you, that you're not uh, really showing anything about being part of the family of God. But when we extend grace... Listen, when we extend grace to those that don't deserve it, to our enemies, to those that we've had trouble forgiving, when we do those kind of things, there may be no greater time than we look like our Father in heaven than when we extend grace to those who do not deserve it, to those who have sinned against us, to those who have done that. And you say, you know what? I don't know if I can do that kind of thing to those people, right? I can do it to these people. But I want you to understand something. You've been called as a result of the grace that God's given you to be kind to those people, to be kind to all those people, right? And, and to extend his mercy. And you say, how in the world am I going to do that? Like you don't know what these people have done to me, right? And sometimes it's just, you know, they pulled out in front of me. There's no way I can be nice to them, right? They got in front of me at the line of MVI. They need to get saved. Like whatever those things are, right? And we all have those. Like a McDonald's drive through I'm amazed how quick you can knock me. Like, what is happening right here? Like, I thought I was a little closer to Jesus than this till I got in there. And like, we can have those moments, right? But God's called us to be kind. And the reality is, is that we cannot do that in our own strength, but we see that there's a supernatural work that takes place in the life of a Jesus follower and, and, and as a fruit of the Spirit of God, right, Galatians 5.22, that we extend kindness, right? And it's supernatural to undeserving people, to our enemies. Uh, Stephen Whitmer says it this way, we open ourselves to the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit when we ask him to produce in us kind hearts. Listen to this clearly, this is cool. Kind hearts that overflow through kind lips. It's a supernatural work of God that takes place in our lives as children of God that we extend his grace and his mercy, right? We know that it was the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, right? Ephesians 4 says that we're to be kind, right, to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. This is the call that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, that, that if we have been extended that grace is undeserving, sinful, like a dead dog like me, when God extends that grace, not only does he extend that grace, we're born again into the family of God. We're, we're born again. We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit and the spirit of God lives in us. And the life of a Jesus follower is not, it's not us getting up and pulling up our bootstraps in the morning and saying, I'm going to live for Jesus today. I used to have a sign behind my desk at work and the sign would say the fruit of the spirit, self-control. And I'd get up every day and I'd say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do better today and I'm going I'm to have self-control and I'm going to do those kind of things. And I'd read that sign. But what I realized, right, is that, that the fruit of the Spirit means that it's something that's happening natural as an overflow of our relationship with God. And as we fellowship with Him, as we abide in Him, 
there's something beautiful that takes place. John 15 would say that there's something beautiful that takes place in the life of a Jesus follower as we bear much fruit and kindness and gentleness and patience and all those things. They result not from us simply saying we're going to try harder, but they come as a result of saying, I'm going to get up this morning and I'm going to pour myself into the word of God in prayer. And I'm going to die daily to the fleshly desires that I have. And as, as a result of the relationship that I have with God, I'm going to ask him to allow me to extend kindness and through the spirit of God that lives within me to empower me to engage in this world for the glory of of his name, the way that these families will raise their children in a way that honors Jesus Christ, in a way that points them to Jesus, is not in their own strength, but in their submission to Jesus Christ as Lord. And as we submit to him as Lord, and the Spirit of God empowers us, a supernatural work can take place through even the lips of us and through our lives. The kindness of God is demonstrated to a world that's so desperately in need of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you into that kind of moment that we would be people that would leave this place, that we would ask God, God, who is there left in the, in the world out here that I could show the kindness of God to today? Maybe your question this morning for some of you is, who are those people? Like in my life, God, who are those people? Those people that don't deserve it. Those people that have hurt me. Those people that have wronged me. Those people that have caused me pain. Who are those people? And then God empower me in your spirit to be kind. To share the love of Christ. We're going to come in just a time of worship. And this song is going to be a declaration of, of just our, our dependence on him. And our, our recognition that it's not our strength, right? But Christ in us. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the, in the, in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In light of that, I walk by faith and I trust in him and I live out of an overflow of his power in us. It's not us, but Christ in us. Us. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to I tell you this morning that God seeks us out. And there, in the power of his spirit, he may be speaking to some of you this morning. You, you may be here and you say, you know what? There's never been a time in my life where I've responded to the grace of God. Now, I know this morning that he is seeking me out. And the Bible says that, that he brings us in, right, to the family of God. We respond to his grace and to his mercy and repentance and surrender. We turn from our sin rights and we surrender our lives to him. And we're born again into the family of God, equipped with the spirit, empowered by the spirit to live for the glory of his name. And, and as we worship today, may we, may we shout out the truths of this, of this song and be reminded that Christ on the inside is going to make the difference on the outside. He's going to enable us as families to raise our children. He's going to enable us as a church to come alongside them in a way that honors Christ. He's going to enable us to walk out of this place and to be witnesses and to share the good news of his grace and his mercy.